Hey there, this is Keith Carpenter. I get to pastor Epic Life Church, and it's such a, a blessing that you're watching this today. I want to encourage you to in, um, enjoy this message and enjoy this worship and time. But I also want to encourage you that if you're listening from a different place in this city or in this country, and you have a local church that you're part of, that you invest into that local church. It's really good that we can hear people online, men and women teach and expound on the scripture. But in the long run, we need to go back to our local church and be part of that community. So again, it's a blessing having you here. I pray that this is a blessing to you and I want to encourage you to invest in your local community. Have a great morning. This morning we're going to continue with the Beatitudes and this morning um, there's only two left actually and this morning is blessed are the peacemakers. So if you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, and I will read this out loud, um, and, and it's going to be up here on the, the monitors as well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. One day he saw, actually, why don't you stand in honor of God's word, and, uh, and let's read this. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. And he said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, or work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So be happy about it. In fact, be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets, they were persecuted in the same way. So you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Will it be thrown out? It will only be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Father who is in heaven. Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of the word that we can apply this to our lives, grow and, and turn around and uh, give it, offer it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I love adding to the Beatitudes that last part about the salt and the light because in the long run, if we're just reading the Beatitudes and it doesn't change us and that change doesn't do something in our world, what have we really done except maybe dishonor the word that we have just read? About a thousand years ago, around 1150 actually, the legend says, or probably it isn't a legend, actually it's probably true. There's uh, five nations in the northeast part of America, which is known as New York now, 
1150, there were Native Americans all over the area, and there was five nations, the Mohawk, the uh, Onada, the Kayota, the uh, Seneca, and the one more, which I can't remember, um, the, the Cayuga, Oneida, Onondaga, Mohawk, and Seneca, the five nations. Five, five warring tribes, and warring. It was a very horrible time, a very cruel time, anyway, in the history, as they would tell the history of it, a very cruel time of taking one another's property, of taking one another as slaves, of, of bloodshed, of cannibalism, of, of uh, just terrible deeds between these five nations, warring, warring, warring. Um, Along about 1150, a man came about, and he was of Huron descent, which is in north in, into Canada. He came in, and he had this vision in Canada uh, about making peace. The Canadian tribes wouldn't listen to him. And so he left, and he went south, and he went into New York, where he found these five tribes. The Mohawks he started with, but before he got to the Mohawks, he went to this woman alongside of the road who kind of had this, this outpost, in a way. She had this, this uh, house, this, this hut, a teepee, whatever it was, along the side of the road that she would take care of travelers. And as she was taking care of travelers, she would send them on their way, no matter who they were, no matter what nation they were part of. This man from, from the Huron nation came down and met her first, and she welcomed this idea of peace, of bringing peace between nations that are fighting. She would actually become uh, known as the mother of the tribes or the mother of the nations at the time. In fact, the early days in, in that part of the, the world up until now, the women of the tribes would start making the rules of the tribe and actually set up the chief who was always a man, but also dethrone him when he was doing a wrong thing. We probably should go back to that in America once in a while, it feels like. So these five nations started to listen to this man, this peacemaker he was called. He got around the five nations and he, he picked up one arrow. And he showed it to everyone and he said, one arrow breaks easily. And he, then he took five arrows. And he took some duct tape or a similar mechanism, probably some deer hide. And he wrapped the five arrows and tied and bound them together on both ends. As he was talking about peace and why these nations should stop fighting each other, should stop killing each other, should stop taking each other as slaves, should stop have, raising havoc. And he took these five arrows and he tried to break them. And it was hard. It might have been impossible. Because unified at peace, they were stronger. He wanted to show them this concept. Well, it succeeded. It worked. All five nations came together. When the French came over, they would call them the Iroquois Nation or the Iroquois Confederacy. Um, and they, this Iroquois Confederacy, this five nations, would actually become six as another nation would join. And they would become this, this confederate of, of, of nations that still had their own rule, their own chiefs, their own systems. But they would agree to be at peace with one another and not be at war with one another. They made peace. 
this man with a vision. It worked because he had no tribal loyalty. He was from outside, and so his tribes in, in Canada didn't trust him because he had tribal loyalty with the Hurons. He was outside the tribe, and he came in. He had no tri tribal loyalty. He wasn't on somebody's side and not on somebody else's side. And he said there's strength in unity. They came up with this idea. It was called the Great Law. Anybody hear this before? The Great Law, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Franklin mostly, would actually study the great law and incorporate a lot of the great law into something we call the Constitution of the United States of America. The Constitution of the United States of America. Part of it came from this great law of the Iroquois Confer Confederacy. He, he took some of the concept and was trying to bring together the 13 colonies at the time, 13 different states coming together in unity to be one nation. The, the Constitution of the United States then would grow and become 50 states, obviously. Pretty amazing and pretty beautiful, this great law. The tribes actually still get together. They still have this confederacy. It is still happening, but there's lots more people and thousands actually now that, that it has grown and become different, but they still get together in this, this unity, this peace, this Iroquois Confederacy. Part of the great law was that the people would subjugate the chief. You understand what that means? The people would be the rulers instead of a chief dictating everything that is supposed to happen. That is exactly what the Constitution of the United States says, is that we, the people, have the power over the government. Sometimes we question that, obviously. I think it's very beautiful that over the years, over millennia, there's story after story about a peacemaker who walks into the camp and says, we need to do something different here. We need to bring peace. There is strength in unity. There's strength in peace. There's something that can't be broken when, when something is tied together with peace. For peace to occur, each party must concede their own ideas. Without concessions... Peace can only exist by force, which by definition isn't peace at all. Subjugation, forced peace, isn't peace. The Europeans would actually do this throughout Americas, creating treaties, peace treaties, that were only ways to subjugate and imprison on reservations. Uh, let's face it, the earth is known for this idea, not just the land that we're on. The earth, everybody, every single society on earth has been subjugated by somebody else and told them that this was a peaceful subjugation. But it's not. Forced peace creates a facade of peace. It's not a true peace. Um, it's a facade at best with enmity boiling just beneath the surface. Peace requires the cause of enmity to be taken care of. Enmity. It's an active hostility, an enemy with someone else. Peace requires the cause of that hostility to, to be taken care of. It requires a reconciliation. People have to be reconciled somehow. It reminds me of the feud. The, what's, what's the famous feud of America? What? I can't hear you. You got a mask on. <laughs> the McCoys and Hatfields. 
the McCoys and Hatfields down in Tennessee, right? Across the river, the McCoys and Hatfields from 1860 or somewhere in there, 1830 to 1891 or something like that. They would go back and forth of the river and killing each other. This constant feud, 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 feud. And somebody trying to stop it, but somebody else getting killed. And this constant thing, never reconciled. Never reconciled. Often, often if not always, somebody from outside with no tribal loyalty is necessary to, to broker a peace. A person with... Nothing to gain, like a, a mediator or an arbitrator or a conciliator to reconcile the differences. Somebody with nothing to gain. Or one of the parties who gives up everything will, willingly. You know, I was taught probably by my father a long time ago, never trust somebody who's giving you advice if that person can profit off the advice. It's a, it's a good rule often. Never trust a person who's giving you advice if they can profit off that advice. So we can't really trust a person who's, who's inside the clans who have, who have stake in the game unless that person or unless those people are willing to give up everything. So peace can happen with a broker from someone outside of it or it can happen with somebody who has everything to lose and freely gives up everything in forgiveness. Peacemaking is only necessary when division exists. Let's face it. We don't have to try to have a peacemaker. We don't have to reconcile if there is no division. Humans are always at war. Always. We have, we have been since the beginning, since Cain and Abel stepped out of the garden with their parents and started to kill each other. We've always been at war. We've always been a, a place of disunity, a place of non-peace. It has happened all the time because of selfish ambition. We as humans always have something that we're holding on to that makes it impossible for us to be fully at peace with somebody else. Anybody have a roommate? Anybody have a marriage? <laughs> Anybody have brothers or sisters? Yeah. It's hard to broker peace inside of that because I want my way. I want my way. Humanity is a constant mechanism in a way of always wanting our way. So we're always at war with self, which means we're always at war with God. We're always at war with the peace giver. So there are a few verses here, and I'm going to go through several verses I have often with the Beatitudes because the Bible connects and it's a beautiful thing. It's something we should celebrate. So Colossians 1.21 says this. You were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. You were far away from God. You were enemies of God, it says. And over at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, it says this. All of us used to live in a way following our own passionate desires, our selfish passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we're subject to God's wrath, just like everyone else. Or we have enmity with God. We are enemies with God. By our very nature, subject to wrath. By our very nature, subject to war itself. And continually, we are hostile towards God. Humanity always has been hostile to God. And it plays out in our society as we're always hostile to one another. 
and we try to broker peace, but look at our nation even right now over this past year as we think we have a nation of peace and somewhere underneath is boiling this, this war because the peace has always been brokered with one side getting a deal. Humanity has always been at, at odds with each other and at odds with God. So as you're reading through your discipleship groups and you're reading through the Bible, you'll notice two things, or one thing that's really popped out to me in Genesis chapter 15. Something surprised me when I read this. And I'm sure I've read it before, like often um, we read things and then see it again for the first time. But Genesis chapter 16, there's a, a fabulous, just a remarkable verse here. It says this, um, well, let's back up to, to Genesis 15, verse 14. Um, I will punish the nation that enslaves you, or my people. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. And as for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. So he's talking to Abraham. And after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. This is, this is interesting. Your descendants, after four generations, will return to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not warrant their destruction. Is that remarkable? You think God in the Old Testament is just about going around slaughtering everybody, right? And that's, that's how everybody says it. Like, oh, God's so mean. Look at it. He's just killing people. He's just killing people. Well, actually, there, there's some grace here. There's some, there's some uh, um, patience here with the Amorites. The Amorites were in control of the land of Canaan. And in fact, they were in control of most of the, the Middle East there. Uh, Amorites or something close to the Amorites. They, they controlled the entire area. And God is saying, you're going to come back here, Abraham, but not quite yet because the Amorites, the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. What were the sins of the Amorites? If you jump over to chapter um, 18 of Leviticus, we start seeing the sins of the Amorites. You know, we always think that before the flood, before Noah, the people were crazy, like, like mind-blowing crazy. They were doing um, um, unbelievably evil stuff that just, we can't even imagine the evil things that they were doing. We'll come to find out after the flood, humanity was doing evil stuff, imploding and their peace with God just wasn't. I mean, they were just completely bonkers um, on running away from God. If you read Leviticus 18 and jump over to Leviticus 20, I'm not even going to read it here this morning because it's kind of rated R. But it's talking about sacrificing kids, their children to gods. I mean, not, not an unborn, but the born, children who were walking around their house that they were feeding and taking care of, sacrificing them to God. It was talking about acts of sexuality. The whole chapters are full of just this, like, what? How? With animals. The debased society. Humanity had come once again to pre-Noah era. And we look at what God does with the Amorites. The children of Israel go into the land and they destroy all the inhabitants of the land. It's no different than Noah's flood. God was setting up a people who he was trying to point the rest of the nation towards. And so in chapter 18 and chapter 20, the sins of the Amorites were on full tilt. And he would actually say, now is the time. The sins have come up. Um, I was going to read you one passage here. 
chapter 18, the entire land has become defiled. I'm punishing the people who live there. I will cause the land to vomit them out. You must obey all my decrees. You must not commit any of these detestable sins. This applies to both native-born Israelites and the foreigners living among you. These are despicable activities and practiced by the people of the land I'm taking you into. And the land has become defiled and the land will vomit the people of the land out. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. God has always been at war. They're doing that to say hi. God has always been at war, or humans have always been at war with God, fighting against God's decrees. We need, we need a peacemaker. We need somebody to step in and, and broker peace between us and God because we can't seem to fix it. We can't seem to get there on our own, and we never will. We need a peacemaker. Here's five verses. We know these verses and if I start with the first one in John 3, 16, you know this by heart. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So, so somebody needed to come and broker peace with us. Remember I said that it takes somebody from the outside? And it does. So who from the outside would it be? Well, there is nobody from the outside. It's either God or it's us. There's no other being to broker this. The other way that peace comes, the other way is for one party to give up everything, to forgive. Forgiveness brokers peace. Bye, Daniel. It's so good to have you here. Forgiveness brokers peace. A heart that is unable to forgive can never recognize or see peace. So God gave up everything. Jump over to Colossians chapter 1 where Paul starts writing. Colossians 1.19. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God would reconcile everything to himself or bring peace. He would be a peace broker, a peacemaker. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. In fact, you were his enemies, separated from him by your own evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless now as you stand before him without a single fault. 2 Corinthians 5, I just read part of this, but let's read the rest of it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse, verse 17. At one time we thought of Christ in merely human point of view, how different we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a brand new person. The old life is gone. It's, 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 it's out of there. A new life has begun. 
before I read the rest, uh, the new life has begun. In the, in the great law or the peacemaker, peace broker from the Huron nation, as he came to the five nations, he would engage with one person who was a, a horrible man, a, a leader in many ways, but he was a horrible man. And he ate uh, human flesh and drank human blood. And he had hair that looked kind of resembled snakes. And he was bent. Uh, the story calls that he was bent in five places. I don't know what that means completely, but this man was bad. The peacemaker and the woman who accepted this peace came to this man and told him about this. It's not, it's not a biblical story, obviously, but something happened to this man that the story tells. He became a new man, and that's the wording. He became a new man. He began to do things differently and show things differently as christ followers because of what christ has done and this enmity has been chopped off we become new people brand new people not brand new people because we look differently necessarily physically but brand new people because our actions towards god is different this means that anyone who belongs to christ has become a new person the old life is gone and a new life has begun our actions our activity is different now and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to him through Christ. And God has given us this task as well, this task of reconciling people to himself, of being peacemakers. For God has in Christ reconciled the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Do you hear the forgiveness in there? So we are Christ's ambassadors now. Christ is, God is making his appeal through us. Uh, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that forgiveness could happen, so that we could be made right with God, so that we could have peace with God. So beautiful. Romans chapter 5 continues this story of, 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 of beauty. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, we just understood that, we've been made right in his sight by the faith that we have, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Not because of what we have done. Peace hasn't happened because we've brokered peace with God. It's happened because of what he did for us, giving this grace, giving this forgiveness to us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. What is that place of undeserved privilege? It's a place of peace where we stand strong confidently. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory this place of peace and one more time jumping back to colossians chapter 3 verse 15 it says this and let the peace that peace that comes from christ rule in your hearts let it rule in your hearts for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful let that peace now rule in your heart. Let it be primary in your heart, that peace that God has given. Let it rule, like, like control all of our other functions. Control all of our language. Control the way we act and behave around each other. Let the peace of God that we have been freely given, he's the one who conquered death and sin, he's given us peace. Let that kind of peace rule in us. Not let it just be a side thing or somebody else's spiritual gift. But as Christ followers, we are, we are ruled by the peace that he's given to us. 
ruled by it. The five nations since 1150 <laughs> have been peaceful five nations because peace ruled in their hearts. God has made peace by giving his life that would kill the, the warring in, enmity between us. Now we are his peacemakers. So the, the trajectory changes a little bit. Uh, maybe not, we become a new person instead of with our back to God and at disunity with God. Without peace, we become peaceful with God and now he's working through us and we become the ambassadors of peace. We become peacemakers, peace brokers to the world. So blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who work for peace for they will be called sons of God, just like Jesus was the son of God. So what is this peacemaker word? It's kind of a cool word. It means, actually the word peacemaker, it's only used one time in scriptures, right here. Matthew chapter five, verse nine, one time. It's the only time it's used. It means bravely declare, a peacemaker bravely declares God's terms, which makes one's, one wholly at peace with God. That's what that word means. It's not this word that we can take and, and bring it into society and talk about making peace between humans or making peace between this group of people and that group of people or, or this government and that government. It can, be, it can be used like that, of course, but it's not properly used like that. The proper use of the word peacemaker is bravely declaring God's terms which make one wholly at peace with God. That's the term. So this peacemaker word is a, is a, is a God proposition. It's something that making, making us right with God. Just like blessed are the pure, we discovered that pureness is a God proposition. Just like blessed are the, the meek, blessed are the merciful, those are God propositions. Those are, those are places that only God can truly do when he recreates someone, then we can offer and help others see God differently. Of course, in Proverbs and Hebrews, uh, Hebrews says, as best you can, live at peace with one another. As best you can. Yes, that's, that is absolutely true. As best you can, live at peace with one another. In Proverbs, it talks about peace all the time or unity or being, being right with one another. Those are really good things. But blessed are the peacemaker. This word actually means the peacemaker declares, bravely declares God's terms, which makes one holy at peace with God. They're a maker, they're a builder, a creator, a designer, a producer, an inventor, a constructor, someone who is making peace. We, we as humans, we make all the time, don't we? How many of you love playing with Legos? Anybody out there? Legos, come on. <laughs> I love Legos. We have bins and bins of Legos, right? I don't think the boys play with them too much anymore, but I bet if I took them out and put them in the living room, they would all build something. We would all gather around and build something. We are builders. You like to build with Legos? I know. I love it. We're all makers. We make stuff all the time. We make a home. We make a house. We buy a, a house and we take care of it. We make things in it. We make tables and we make rooms and we make chicken coops and we make bird cages and we make, or maybe that's just me, I, I, but we make a lot. And when COVID comes around, you make even more things because you got to do something, right? I got to make something. Uh, there's two things that I know I am. 
when it boils down to who are you? I'm, I, I'm a lifesaver and I'm a maker. If I can walk by a burning building and saving, save somebody's life, you've just made my life. <laughs> I want to save people's lives. I want to find somebody and fish them out of the river. I want to save somebody from a, a burning car and pick the car up and toss it out and save somebody out of it. I want to save the people on the streets here in Seattle. I want to save people from spending their 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 life shooting up and, and finding themselves in a ditch. I want to save people from giving their life into abuse and, and situations like that. I want to save people. I also want to make things. I want to build things. I want to see things grow and expand and, and be created and bring something new to a street like a coffee shop or a business or a network and things that we, we build into a place where there's not something and we make it. I love that. Blessed are the peace makers makers we're all makers we're all creators sometimes we don't get to see what we make because it's online and it's this, this in this weird world of numbers but it's still making and it's still creating can i encourage us as a church as people of god to use the gifts that he's given us to make and to generate wealth to make peace to generate peace well, not just peace between humans. We all know that that is not a lasting peace. It never will be. And as we have a nation more and more full of different people and we focus on differences, it becomes less and less peaceful. We're talking about making peace with God because that's a lasting peace. It's something that continues and continues and continues. A Christian has been assigned the task of peacemaking. We've been assigned that. Second, uh, second, second Corinthians 5 tells us that we've been assigned, we're ambassadors of Christ. We've been assigned the, the duty, the responsibility of reconciling people to God. We are living disobedient lives if we are not fulfilling that assignment. I'll just let that sit there. This is a peacemaker outpost. Epic Life Church. The abundant life that we talk about the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you an abundant life. It isn't an abundant life of, of stuff and wealth. We know that. It's the abundant life of peace, of unity with God. Peace in the world is good, but it is lacking of ultimate peace with God. You know, we can, you, you know you're at peace with somebody when you can disagree with them and still love them. You can disagree and still have a conversation. You know there's peace there. There's something more there. And so we know we're at peace with God when we go, God, I don't get it right now. God's like, I love you. I've got you. And we're looking at God like, how can this happen? I thought you were on my side. I love you, son, daughter. I care for you. I care for where you're at. I care for the, the spot, the pain, the, the, the punishment that you're in, that space where you're at, and it hurts, and I know it. I know it. Casey's going to get to this a little more next week when we talk about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We know that we're at peace with God because we can yell at God. God forbid we yell at God, but we do. And he goes, I love you. I've got you. I love you. The world is not capable of true peace for it teaches us all. If you disagree, you're an enemy. And haven't we seen that this last year? 
You disagree? Even, even if it's one word out of the whole paragraph, I disagree with that. We're going to have a war now. We're going to have a war, a pathetic war at best on Facebook. Peace is only possible through Christ, and that is because of Jesus and the forgiveness that he came and gave us. It's the only place where peace rests. And when we live in that kind of peace, men and women, that kind of peace is a God proposition. I'm going to end with Romans 8, verse 31. We, as Christ followers, have the peace of God in our hearts. How can we so often be the people who are known for downheartedness and, and anger and uh, being mean and taking... We have, we have the peace of God. This is a God proposition. This is, a, this is amazing. How can we be known for living lives of fear and not of faith? How can we be known for living lives of, of depression, and not that depression is bad itself, but just lives of it where we don't trust God for anything, and we're always complaining about life? How can we do that if we have peace with God? Peace with makes us strong. Peace with each other, strong. Peace with God, oh my goodness. I mean, I might as well have four by fours in this stack, right? I might as well have steel iron beams up here trying to bend them. That's peace. That's strong. That's powerful. You guys, you know this. This is Romans 8, 31. And if I, I, this, is, this is Paul's word. So I don't want to condemn any of us, but this is how we can be living because we have peace with God. Because we have peace with God. Because of that. Wow, this is so good. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? I love Paul. If God is for us, if God's at peace with us, who can ever be against us? Do we got this? We're Christ followers. We have peace with God. Listen, Paul's saying, if God is for us, if God's at peace with us, if God is, is in our nation, our, our five nation, who, who can be against us? <laughs> nobody. Well, nobody's strong anyway. Since he did not even spare his only son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, it says, amen, no one can, for God has chosen us. He himself has given us right standing with himself. <laughs> who then will condemn us, Paul says, who? Who can condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and is raised to life for us, and he is sitting at the right place, the place of honor at God's right hands, pleading for us. He's at unity with us. He knows what we need. He knows where we're at. He knows our heartbeat. He knows the tears. He knows the sorrow. He knows the difficulties. He understands, and he's right next to God going, God, this is my, my brother, my sister. This is your son and daughter. This is a, the man or woman, a boy or a girl who needs you. Step in. There is nothing that can come against them. I am with them. Verse 35, Paul says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? How many of us think to ourselves, wow, I've done it now. I've done it now. I know that God can forgive those people, but mm, not me, because I've done it now. 
Can anything separate, anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? Come on. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have calamity? Anybody? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we are persecuted? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we're hungry? If we're poor? Does it mean God no longer loves us if we're destitute? Men and women, does it mean God no longer loves us if we're in danger or threatened with death? Scripture says, for his sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loves us. We're unified with the power on earth. (laughs) We're unified with the power. We have peace with God. We have overwhelming victory in everything. Men and women, if it's God's will and we put our hand to it, put our hand to that plow, nothing can stop us. Nothing. In an outpost church, there's a lot of things that try to stop us. In an outpost, in the, in the wild, there's a lot of things trying to stop you. I looked at the top 20 outposts on earth. Most of them are in the Antarctic or space. There's a lot of things trying to stop the outposts in the world. But can anything start, stop this outpost? Can we have victory? Yes, we can. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory. The the word overwhelming means overwhelming victory. Victory is ours through Christ who loves us so much. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love because we have peace. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons can separate us from God's love because we are at peace with him. I am convinced that neither fears for today nor worries about tomorrow and not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love because we're at peace with him. We're unified with him. No power in the sky above, in the vast extent of the sky above or the earth below, this thing, this globe that we're on, which means everything, right? The sky above, the earth below, that's everything. Indeed, nothing in creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Wow. That's so awesome. I love that. Nothing. So, are you living like that? (laughs) Are you living like that? Nothing. If God is with us, If God has made peace with us, who can break these arrows? If God has made peace with us, who can come against us? No one. No one. Father, I pray that we would believe this. I mean, believe it. Like, really, believe it.